People ask me all the time, how do you find the women you profile? Hi, this is Candy O'Terry, your host for the story behind her success. The answer is these exceptional women are everywhere. They're your mother, your sister, your coworker, your neighbor, your best friend. Now, sometimes people send me emails telling me all about this amazing woman that they know. And it is really adorable when husbands nominate their wives. And trust me, they do that all the time. If you know a woman I should feature on the show, just go to my website, candyoterry.com. I'll spell it for you. C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. All right, let's go on to this week's story. It's about a woman who has been leading others since she was in her 20s. Her story about how she got to where she is today is awesome. And I'm not going to give it away in this introduction, but I am going to give you some background about where she is working right now, because it's important to the story. Henry Termeer was a Dutch biotechnology executive and a very bold entrepreneur who died suddenly at 70 or 71 in 2017. As the CEO of Genzyme, he created a business model that was adopted by the biotech industry. What made this work very special was Genzyme's focus on developing therapies for rare genetic disorders. These are known as orphan diseases that mostly affect children. And here's the catch. Under Henry Termeer's watchful eye, Genzyme used biological processes that could not be easily copied by generic drug makers. He was a biotech pioneer, a thought leader, and a mover and a shaker. At the end of the day, Henry Termeer was a connector who nurtured vast networks. And he was a philanthropist who donated $10 million to Massachusetts General Hospital, considered one of the very best teaching and research hospitals in the world. And when he died, the many people he inspired and mentored continued their work to find cures for rare diseases. Today, the Termeer Foundation is overseen by Henry's family, headed up by Belinda, and the woman you are about to meet. She is the executive director of the Termeer Foundation. Her name is Catherine Smith, and this is her story. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Okay, so let's start right away. The mission of the Termeer Foundation. We are really trying to build on Henry Tremere's legacy. He has this wonderful legacy and the impact that he had in building Genzyme, the company, and revolutionizing the rare disease model. And after he passed away, unfortunately, a few years ago, a group of his mentees and leaders in the biotech space came together and said, what can we do to carry on this legacy that Henry had, which was really related to patient-centered care and getting cures to patients who weren't getting cures before, and around mentoring and building the next generation generation of biotech leaders. And so that's where we're focusing. Well, it sounds like a big job. So just give us a snapshot. Walk us through your day. What are your responsibilities? So this is a brand new foundation. So I tell people it's like any other startup. There's a lot of just building blocks. It feels sometimes like building a Lego house and making sure that that house is really sound. So a lot of what I do is just building the foundation and doing all the things that one has to do when one's starting an organization. But the really fun stuff is working with our fellows and working with some of the programs that have existed over the last few years. A lot of smart people. A lot of really smart people. Women are so underrepresented in the boardroom. I know we're making a lot of headway, but how do you hold your own very often in a room full of men? 
Honestly, with this particular organization, you know, our president and co-founder is Belinda Termier, and she's a wonderful, strong woman, and she's such a great partner and really has opened doors and paths for me and many other women. We have two other strong women on our board. So even before I joined, there was such a great legacy of making sure that women were at the table. But I think you bring up a really good point, and I think the point is to be at the table and not be silent for me. Let's talk a little bit about the opportunity to work with Belinda Termir. How has that been for you? It's been really, really, really wonderful. I did not know her before I took this role, and I just feel grateful every day to learn from her. I think her view on biotech, her view on philanthropy is really unparalleled. It's nice to work on a leadership team where the value set is so aligned. She's very much focused on how do we change biotech, how do we get all the cures to all the patients who need it, and really using this foundation and Henry's legacy to get there. So it's just been a learning experience for me. So you just mentioned leadership team. Has your leadership philosophy developed over time, and what is it? Oh, my gosh, absolutely, yes. I think I sometimes think about my leadership approach when I was in my 20s to now. You know, I've been leading teams since graduate school when I think I was 24 years old, and I'm so sorry to those teams if anyone is listening <laughs> for, for my um, leadership experimentation, but it's definitely changed over time. And I think the biggest piece of it has really been around how to build wellness within a team and really focus on a lot of the things that we know now, which are teams that trust each other, teams that show vulnerability is really key. So I think that's been a lot of the evolution that I've seen in my own leadership style. It's been an awfully long and very interesting road to where you are right now at the Termier Foundation. So let's talk a little bit about where you grew up, your early times in life and the people who molded and shaped you. You are right. It's, it's been a really long road for me and, and a road through a lot of different geographic locations. My family's roots are really in Missouri and western Kansas. So I really grew up primarily with my mother and my grandmother. A women influencers <laughs> yeah. in your life, right? Yes. My mom had such a strong identity with western Kansas. She was born in the late 1930s, western Kansas, rural area. So you can sort of picture that in your mind. And that really influenced how I think about the world in ways that don't necessarily translate to Boston. But it's definitely been really important in thinking about the real grassroots origins of my life. Talk a little bit about your grandmother. What you know, a big smile you have when you think about her, right? Yeah, you know, my grandmother and my mom and I, in so many ways, were very similar in terms of just our tenacity. And some people might say our stubbornness. But my grandmother really wanted to go to college. But in the early 1900s, that wasn't something that there was funding to do within her family. And so I think one of the values that my mom instilled in me was around education and the importance of that. And for me, I was one of the first people in my family to go to college in my immediate family. I have two older siblings and was the first one to go to college. And it was really around this value of education and sort of taking a path that was very different because I was afforded that ability. We are born with skills and gifts and talents. As a child, as an adolescent, what were your interests? What were your gifts and talents? What were you focused on back then? Oh, as a child and adolescence, you know, I loved math and the sciences, which oh is like, God. <laughs> I, <think laughs> I, did. I loved science and I loved math. I didn't actually end up studying math in college. I studied more the social sciences, but came back to it. And I think it's the thing that makes me identify a lot with the scientists that I work with now. And I've been working with physicians and clinicians for many, many years prior to this role. And I think that interest in science and looking at the evidence and experimentation has been 
an important center to what I've done, even though I haven't become a scientist. When did your passion for civil rights and social action begin to take shape? That really was, I think, in adolescence. The space that I grew up in was not always easy, either for me personally or for the people around me. I saw a lot of injustices. I think I've always been one of those people who feels those injustices. I started volunteering at a very young age and started becoming more of a social activist in college when I could do that. I grew up as a queer woman in the Midwest in the 1980s and 1990s, and I think that really influenced how I think about human rights as well. You attended the University of Chicago where you did social science research, Mm -hmm. and then you went on to MIT. So this is what brought you to Massachusetts for your master's. Take me back to that time in your life. You've always been clued into civil rights. You say you feel it. Were you driven or were you an idealistic dreamer? I think a little bit of both, which might be the easy answer, but I think probably more driven. You know, I think one of the things that I noticed growing up with a single mom in a resource-restrained environment was education wasn't a given and health care wasn't a given. So I grew up in a household with generally either without insurance or underinsured, and so we had to defer health care for other basic needs. And so when I studied social sciences at the University of Chicago, I think it was really the underpinning of how do we build better models? I think this is the piece about Henry's legacy that really resonates with me. How do you build a better economic model that benefits everyone? And then it became, how do you build a better health care model that benefits everyone so that everyone has access to it? Well, I have never met a Fulbright scholar, so I can knock something <laughs> off my bucket list because I think this is the stuff of U.S. presidents. Tell me about your experience as a Fulbright scholar. You traveled to Argentina, to Brazil, to Uruguay. What was your mission and what did you want to examine and learn about in these countries? I love that question and I love thinking about that time in my life because it was so formative. As I mentioned before, I really have always been on this path to find models that work better for everybody. I was living in Uruguay and I spent some time in Brazil and Argentina and really exploring how do you create economic models that work better for everyone. At the time, it was really thinking about how do you create cooperation, cultural, political, social cooperation between those three countries to make the model better for everyone. You discovered so much about women in those countries, the economics for women in those countries, and also that every day women in some of those countries were living under dictatorships and had to be so brave. Can you tell us some of the things you learned about being with these women? When I was in Uruguay, I was specifically there to study economic models, and I had been volunteering for so many years. I didn't want to leave that part of me aside as I was living in Uruguay. And I found this wonderful women's rights organization that was founded by women who had lived through the dictatorship in Uruguay and were really focusing on women's rights at that point in time, you know, maybe I think 10, 15, 20 years post-dictatorship. And I think it's just like anything, their stories were so poignant. The things that they had lived through and built resilience and grit how that led them to think about women's rights at that time in the early 2000s and really thinking about reproductive rights and education rights and economic rights, the right to work. They were so kind and gracious to allow me to be with them and learn from them. You have had some pretty amazing jobs. Tell me about your work for the Clinton Foundation. You know, I was at the Clinton Foundation right before I came to the Tremere Foundation. And the Clinton Foundation has a small but very mighty group of people working on U.S 
healthcare reform. And specifically, we were focusing on the opioid crisis, which is just unfortunately close to many, many people. We were doing community-level work with faith leaders in the southern United States to decrease stigma around opioid use or around substance use to really build community for people so that people could get the services that they needed and the treatment that they needed. And I love that group of people. I met with faith leaders across the southern part of the United States and the team, that the Clinton Foundation, that were leading those faith leaders. It was just really amazing and groundbreaking work. You know, it's amazing to sit here in this room and watch you and watch your facial expressions when you talk about doing what you love. You're fortunate that you've been able to do that all of your life, aren't you? I'm very fortunate. I'm fortunate that I've been able to take different turns and learn from every place that I've been. And that's been a key theme for me throughout my life. Speaking of that, the Harvard Center for Primary Care. Talk to me about that. Sure. So as many people who are working in clinical medicine and workforce development, we know that primary care is an area where there are workforce shortages, but it's just so critical to population health. Really, I think of primary care as the vehicle to all of us becoming more well. And I really enjoyed my time working there with primary care providers and researchers across the United States and even outside the United States to figure out how to restructure our healthcare system to be better for patients. What has been your most profound takeaway from the work that you have done around women, around civil rights, around social action? You also just mentioned growing up being a queer woman in the Midwest. Is there a way forward for us? I absolutely think that As I said at the beginning, when you asked me about the boardroom, I think being present at the table and not being silent and saying what we think, finding our authentic voices is really important. It doesn't matter whether it's queer rights in the Midwest or healthcare globally. It's really making sure that our voice is heard and not being silenced by the voices in our own head or the voices in the room. Next couple questions. I ask everybody who sits right where you are when an obstacle is in your path. Catherine Smith, how do you get around it? I love this question because I think there's always going to be obstacles. For me, I think a lot about the obstacles that I place for myself. But I think the big thing is to find my inner strength. I've been thinking a lot about this actually the last few years. During the pandemic, I think all of us finding our inner strength and what does that look like? And for me specifically, it's believing in myself And also, I've thought a lot about the connection between exterior strength and internal strength. I've gotten into a lot of different sort of exercise and body mobility and body strength to really ask myself if an obstacle is actually an obstacle or if it's something fun that I can overcome over time. I love to ask this question of parents. So how did becoming a mom change you? I think it's taught me that I have to balance everything. I've had a career. I've always had a career. And it is different having a child. I can't throw myself into my job and be in that job for 12 hours or 20 hours. I need to be present for my son. And I bring a lot of meaning from that. And so I think it's really balanced out how I think about my day in a good way. What is the best piece of advice, Catherine, that you've ever received? And it can be personal or professional. Can you pass that along to our listeners today? Oh, people have given me such great advice over the years. So When I think about that, I always come back to the same person. I had this organic chemistry professor many, many years ago who was really a force for the world. And she was undergoing cancer treatment and had been undergoing cancer treatment for a while. And she was talking about this chemotherapy drug that she was going to be taking. And she said, I'm not afraid of one milliliter of anything. And I think about that all the time. And I think about her. She's given me a lot of power in my life to remember all of the things that she pushed through. 
But I do say to myself sometimes, I am not afraid of one milliliter of anything, whether that's 20 minutes of something or two days of something. I'm not afraid of one milliliter of anything. Final question. And thank you very much for coming in today. I know how busy you are. At this moment and in this chapter in your life, what does success mean to you? As it always has been, it's the opportunity to elevate what other people are doing. A lot of what you do really resonates with me in that sense. It's elevating the teams of people that I bring in to work for the Clinton Foundation. It's elevating our fellows and their work. It's elevating Belinda and how wonderful she is. But I think that for me is success, feeling like there's a team around me that I've facilitated doors opening with them. Catherine Smith, Executive Director of the Tremere Foundation. Thank you so much for being this week's guest on the story behind her success. Thank you. And that's the story behind her success for this week. Whether you're listening to the show somewhere in this great big world, oh, and by the way, we're in 100 countries for the podcast. And maybe you're listening right here in Boston, where I've been on the air for nearly 30 years. Thank you for listening. If you know a woman I should profile, shoot me a note. Tell me all about her. Just go to my website, candyoterry.com. That's candy with a Y, O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. Give the show a follow on your favorite podcast platform, and please tell your friends and family about the show. Leave a review if you would be so kind. I'll have a new inspiring story for you next week. When we share our stories, no matter where we are in the world, we provide a roadmap for the next woman towards success. Because if she can do it, you can do it. When we lift each other up, we all rise.